0: and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Uh, great to be back. I missed last week and uh, almost uh, missed today, actually. I, I was just busy the past couple of weeks and haven't had time to record a podcast, So, uh, but fortunately that changed and I'm able to uh, present this today. So... Um, and just a heads up, if you do listen to this podcast, I might not have one next week as well. It's a busy week and we'll see. Um, and then uh, pretty soon we'll start getting into some other issues and thoughts and and then uh, the spring will be over. I will at least take a break for the summer. so um, So today I am concluding. Uh, this series on the five solas, and today is uh, one that I think is vital to the other four. In fact, I would even say, and I'll discuss this a little bit, I will even say that this sola, sola a soli solideo gloria, the glory of God alone, is probably the sola from which the other solas are derived, and so this is one of the most vital, fundamental, and central issues Of Christian life. And so today we're discussing Soli Deo Gloria. Um, A psalm that many are familiar with is the 73rd Psalm. It was written by either Asaph or David. Uh, It's unclear who the author is, but many would espouse that Asaph transcribed the words of David. Uh, because it does say in most translations, a song, the Psalms of Asaph. And so uh, there's no telling. But either way, the psalmist says this. This is very familiar uh, scripture here to many people who who have grown up in the church. This is Psalm 73, 25 through 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The author here understands that God is central and all-encompassing to everything. And a statement like this that confesses all one possesses, in other words, this is all that I have, um, God in this case, that might seem negative to someone. You know, if you say... Uh, financially speaking, all I have is $10. It won't cover this thing or whatever it is that's $50. Whatever the case might be, it's usually a negative statement. But in this case, the writer's... Most tremendous blessing is that all he has is God, because he realizes that while God is all he has, God is also all he needs and all that he wants. And so when this is deducted, Christians conclude that God is all that is valuable and all that matters in life. And so his glory is always the issue, no matter what. And I would say most of the time we lose that perspective and so this is why it is vital to keep the perspective that the glory of God is always the issue. The reformers understood the doctrine of deo gloria, uh, soli deo gloria in a foundational and a central manner. In other words, uh, the glory of God is all-encompassing in life. It's it's The glory of God alone is the most foundational and yet the most central doctrine of the five solas. Because... While it's rudimentary to understand the vitality of God's glory alone, it's also absolutely necessary to understand it as a central part of everything deep and profound in scripture. Any doctrine, any theology, the glory of God alone is the purpose. And if we don't realize that, if, if all the, if theology does not lead to doxology, to the worship of God, it is futile. When God's glory alone is not the central focus, the church fails in all endeavors, including missions. Hear me on this. This is going to sound a little backwards to some people, but it's correct. If people are the central focus of any goal, in other words, missions, witnessing, anything like that, Christians miss the point. And so often do churches miss the point today. Um, worship services, worship gatherings have become this large event designed to reach people. That is not the point of Christian worship. Christian worship is designed to glorify God. And when we start creating our services and design our worship gatherings to reach people, we have completely missed the point. God has created everything solely for the purpose of his glory, which he will not share with anyone Even in the church's ultimate shared glory with God, and I've discussed that on a few occasions, that that as heirs of Christ, we uh, have a shared glory with Christ, yet in that, God is the one who is glorified, because Christ is glorified in his people. So it is not us that is being glorified, it is God himself. And so people are never the point of the gospel. Hear me on that. People are not the point of the gospel. Lost people are not the point of missions. Missions exist because worship does not. God is the gospel and the gospel's chief end. And so from the glory of God alone stem the other four solas, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, all stem from the glory of God alone. And so God's glory is both the pinnacle and the foundation of Christian doctrine and life. And in realizing the doctrine of soli deo Gloria. It should be concluded that God's glory is always the issue. No matter the circumstance, no matter the the situation, his glory is always the issue, will always be the issue, and has always been the issue at the center of history. And so this discussion is going to revolve around God's future glory, his present glory, and his past glory, which all meet in God's ultimate plan to glorify himself and his people. So let's talk about his future glory first, the future glory of God. Considering the incredible trials and the difficulties when you read Scripture that the Apostle Paul faced throughout his fruitful ministry, trials, honestly, which are unimaginable to most people. Yes, certainly Christian persecution certainly does exist around the globe today, and it is increasing. But most of us in Western culture can't imagine the trials that Paul went through. But considering those trials, it's miraculous that he wrote the letters that he did with supreme encouragement to suffering people. Think about what Paul said to people who were suffering. Many times he wrote these letters while he was in prison suffering himself. And if anyone had a reason to complain, it was the Apostle Paul. But he's found continuously encouraging his readers and reminding them of the hope in Christ. When he discusses his trials... He expresses that they don't compare to the glory to be revealed in believers. That's Romans 8:18. 8, the 8th chapter of of Romans is found by many to be one of the most encouraging passages in the Bible. For Paul, uh, this is a man who was whipped. He says he was beaten with rods, he was stoned, He was shipwrecked, he was drifting at sea, he was in danger of robbers, and even his own people hated him. He was bitten by snakes, he was hungry, he was thirsty. He lists all of these things in 2 Corinthians 11. But for him, the glory of God was the underlying issue, and that which he found, in which he found delight. He found his delight, his purpose, his aim in the glory of God. And so foundational to the Christian life and to everything is the glory of God. Everything that has been done, that ever will be done, and everything ever created, and every good or bad situation that has been, ever will be, is allowed and happens solely for the glory of God. So the Reformers understood that God's glory is the governing focus and purpose from which everything stems, even the cross, certainly an act of matchless love was primarily for the glory of God, even more than the love of people. And so without a realization of the governance of God's glory, a believer's perspective will be tainted and distorted and the root of incorrect responses because our perspective is incorrect when we don't realize the glory of God is the issue. The apostle, how impact the glory of God is to perhaps subconsciously believe that God's glory is not supreme. But because God's glory is exceedingly supreme, uh, human error doesn't sway the glory of God, but is instead subject to it. Any mistakes people make, it works together for good. Believers should take comfort in this truth, because even in times of failure, which we all fail, all things work together for the good of God's people. And furthermore, Christ is co-eternally glorified with both the Father and the Spirit. The glory of Christ is a perpetual fact rather than a mere concept which began with his incarnation. The Son shares in triune glorification with the Father and the Spirit. So the glory of God alone in Christ is a reality which transcends time and space. Not only in in the past, but even before time began, God has glorified himself. Therefore, his creation serves, all of God's creation serves to continue that glorification, not to diminish it. And so in in these thoughts of everything occurring for the glory of God, someone might question Christ's emptying of himself to become human and give himself as the atonement for sin, as Paul uh, references in Philippians chapter 2. But this act, the act of Christ emptying himself, does not negate his supreme glory. Instead, the act itself of emptying himself and becoming human, the incarnation, that act itself serves serves that supreme glory. In other words, Christ became incarnate to glorify his divine nature as God. He did not cease being God while he was on earth. The emptying of himself does not refer to a vacation of deity, but rather to the humility in that act. Reformer Ulrich Zwingli says this, he's a 15th and 16th century reformer, he says, we cannot but admit that even the least thing takes place unless it is ordered by god indeed nothing is too small in us or in any other creature not to be ordered by the all-knowing and all-powerful providence of god when paul says that all things work uh, all things are from god through god and to god in romans 11:36 It's a consummate statement and one which should be taken literally. In other words, everything from the biggest blessing to the most severe catastrophe to even someone's decision of whether to order fries with a meal is designed by God. It is decreed through him and ultimately serves his glory. And so a typical response might be that such a belief in that level of sovereignty causes humanity to seem like robots. But hear me on this. It's worse. Romans 9 says that we are clay and God is the potter. God's glory exists not only as a present and future reality, but also as a past reality. The most magnificent sin does not catch God by surprise. It did not catch God by surprise. And in fact, it serves to his glory in the grand scheme of his plan. And so, no matter the mistakes you make, rest assured that as God's uh, part of God's people, it will work for good. Believers who hold to an idea that their mistakes somehow dictate the glory of God um, not only live with a a foolish perspective, but a prideful perspective. God's glory is eternal and unwavering, and therefore, no matter the decisions or the mistakes that someone makes— Or has made, even in the past, believers need to rest assured that God has a purpose in it. The Christian's responsibility, then, is to not misuse these consequences and these mistakes that we make. All trials certainly exist for God's glory, but so also do the mistakes and the consequences. Although sin does not serve God itself, God uses it for his glory. And what I mean by that is when Christians fall, the response is crucial— we can um, we can make a mistake that dishonors God, and we will. We do. We fail in our human nature, our fleshly nature, as Christ is changing us more like him. We still fail. But from that point, whenever someone fails, he or she needs to choose to continue. They can choose to continue living in sin, which is the wrong response, or they can align themselves with God's plan of redemption. That's the correct response. And so a key component in the doctrine of Solideo Gloria is a constant realization that God's glory is overarching and all encompassing. The church is to live with God's glory as the end means of all that is done and accomplished. Not only is God glorified now, but He will and, and He will be in the future, but also in all that has already happened, including our mistakes. So, believer, hear me. Take hope in that, take courage. And get up and live. Whatever the consequences for your sin are, know that God uses it for his glory. And it's not futile to live for him, even though you've made mistakes. Because the the consequences and the mistakes do not govern God's glory. God's glory governs everything. And so no matter what we have done, what has already happened, God is glorified. And for his glory alone... That's the uh, ending issue for everything. God's glory, the glory of God, soli deo gloria, the glory of God alone. The astonishing fact in the doctrine of the glory of God alone is that God is glorified in all that has happened, is happening, and will happen. And he's glorified in the lives of his people. Christians are heirs with Christ, and therefore even the glory that is revealed in the people of God is 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 not for the glory of people, but for the glory of God. The cross is not primarily a display of love for people, even though it is certainly that, but it is more a display of love for God. Christ died for his people because of God the Father, because of himself. And so it is the glory of God alone that puts all circumstances in the correct perspective. No matter what Christians face, good or bad, The realization of God's glory should cause believers uh, not to abandon doing right, but to increase in desire to do so. The, The satisfaction of sharing in the glory of Christ through all future eternity is dependent on glorifying God now in the present, in the present decisions and circumstances that we make. God is and always will be glorified in his people. And a qualifier for being one of God's people is a personal and life-transforming relationship with him now. And so to understand the glory of God alone is to understand the responsibility of serving God now. Someone who comprehends, uh, comprehends solideo gloria is one who faces all degrees of, of trials and persecution in a way that honors God, because his glory is desired above all for such a person, for that individual. Soli Deo Gloria does not neglect the present for the future or the past. In other words, we shouldn't consider the present in futility simply because of a past mistake or an understanding that God will be glorified in the future. Uh, That's not the point. But Christians should live with a resolute aim of glorifying God out of satisfaction for him, because we glorify that in which we are satisfied. If we're satisfied in sports, that's what we glorify. If we're satisfied in money, that's what we glorify. When Christians are satisfied in God, he is glorified in them. The glory of God alone, then, is the single issue and doctrine from which the other solas occur. And when purpose is unclear, when trials are overwhelming, and when questions arise, the church should remember and be changed by this doctrine of the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you for listening to the Act of Worship podcast. I hope that this series on the five solas has been beneficial. Uh, You can be looking for a book with this material in it. Uh, It'll have some extra stuff as well. Um, at some point that will be published. And so I hope this has been encouraging and edifying uh, the five solas. And just to recap them, um, soli, so, sola uh, gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, sola scriptura, soli deo gloria. So grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, the glory of God alone. And so let's live to the glory of God alone through these other uh, solas that we have covered. So hopefully this has been beneficial, encouraging, and edifying to you. I hope and pray so. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Act of Worship Podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.